number one, it's it's great to visually meet you. Um, I, you know, I, I have a real appreciation for what you do, knowing how hard it is, um, and you know, knowing the time it takes. And you know, I like I like that you bring. I like the level of personality you bring to the reporting beat. Um, I, I think that the mix is is really interesting. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I, I really feel like I can get inside your head a little bit when I when I read your reporting, which is which is cool element and dimension. So uh, I'm I'm really happy really happy to speak with you. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate that. Can okay. you can you do this beat? Can you be as good at it as you are? and still be quote unquote a nice guy because it seems very competitive and it seems like you would have to be very persistent. So how does that question hit you? Well, I try to be a nice guy. That's for one. I mean, I'm sure some people might disagree. Uh, I think the biggest thing is honesty. I think if you're fair with people uh, and straightforward uh, in any business, I think that's kind of the the way to go, uh, including this one. So uh, I just try to, be very um, upfront with whoever I'm writing about and, you know, whatever entity that I'm writing about. So, because I rather, my, my thing is I always would rather have an argument before it's in, it's published than after, you know, that doesn't really help to me, anybody. If you're having an argument after it's out there, especially with how the internet works and, you know, things are not accurate. And then, you know, before you can change the record, it kind of already is in the, blogosphere, you know, and all over the internet. And so it's hard to kind of change everything back to how it's supposed to be. So, and I think you want to have that level of uh, accuracy. So, so people, when you say something, you know, they think it, they, they know that they can rely on it. So take me back to the beginning of Andrew Marsh and the media observer. How did it start for you? And is it something that you always wanted to do? I mean, I, I think that you've gotten to a place I was thinking a lot of kids grew up wanting to play for the Yankees. You grew up, you covered the Yankees. A lot of people grow up wanting to be on TV or be an announcer, reporter, sit behind the desk. You've also covered that beat. So I was just curious how you fell into this place, which could be the dreams of like a lot of kids, whether they know it or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky uh, to have done it. I mean, growing up, you know, I read Phil Mushnick, I read Raceman, I read Rudy Martsky. Um, so I always had a real interest in sports media. You know, I went to college, you know, wanting to get into sports media. I don't know if I necessarily was like, I want to be a sports media columnist, but it definitely was something like, I, I just love, like, I love sports, but I just love the media. Like I could talk about it. I, you know, I kind of joke around on Twitter, you know, like this is for like sports media nerds, you know, cause like I could just talk about, you know, I just find it interesting. Like, who's going to be uh, Doc Emmerich's replacement? That stuff, it intrigues me just the same way Yankee free agency would intrigue me. So, you know, I think I'm very fortunate. Um, I, I have worked hard in the, the sports media stuff. Uh, I was working down in Texas, a very small newspaper, when I first went to the New York Post the first time. And uh, Phil Mushnick was great to me in terms of, like, I, I you know, I would call him and be like, I saw this, I, you know, heard that. And, you know, I, you know, Phil's obviously been doing this a long time and a lot of people, I think this might be weird for people to understand, but um, a lot of times when someone's a big time person, they, they're not like, they're very threatened very easily, even though, you know, I won't get into names, but there are people who are big people in the business who get threatened by every little person. So 
the fill was great. And I was able to start writing about sports media. Then I ended up covering the Mets and I did that for a couple of years. Uh, then I went back to sports media and then uh, I went to ESPN and then now I'm back. And so, and then, so and th- this is sort of, yes, for me, this is my dream job. Like, I don't think I necessarily, uh, no, could I do something else? Yes. But this is what I kind of, I just really like doing. I like, you know, almost everything about it. What's your day-to-day process? Take me through a typical day. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and on the front end say, you're probably going to say there is no typical day. Uh, (laughs) I'll change. But as reasonable as uh, facsimile as you can, what is a typical day? I mean, it could be Monday or it could be Sunday. uh, Look for you. Yeah, so I'll start with a typical week. And it starts with Sunday night. Um, I prepare an email for my immediate editor, Mark Hale. Um, that he that I set it for schedule at 8 a.m. to look like I'm up and at it at 8 a.m. Don't tell him. Hopefully he's not watching uh, or listening or reading. But uh, so it comes into him at 8 a.m. And like I kind of have um, a list of stories that I'm working on. You know, if I have something for that Monday for online Tuesday's paper. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the week and, and just things I'm hearing. Because, you know, a lot of times, I'm, you know, when stories even if they're news, a lot of times I hear them before and then I'm just working on them to try to find out as much as I can. So that's how the week starts. And that's kind of like the basis of, uh, of everything. And then, you know, then it obviously depends. We, it, it changes from week to week, as you said. But, you know, the big thing is just getting on the phone and talking to as many people as possible, making observations, noticing things. Like, you know, during the day, like I probably listen to more radio than watching like first take or like, you know, that stuff. And I put it on, like I, like I, I do like, so, I do put time into my day, like to check out shows like during the week, you know, I just like to get opinions on people. And so it's just like a spot here, spot there, just so I can kind of uh, make sure that I'm like on top of everything. But like, I don't just like have like first take on usually in the background or, you know, uh, speak for uh, or whatever skip show is uh, undisputed. You know, I just, whatever. It's it, nothing against those guys. I mean, I, those shows are fine. I mean, to me, you know, I don't know if it, I necessarily learn something. It's more the, it's more of an entertainment show if you're into that, um, in my opinion. Um, and people get worked up about like what they say. You know, for me, I just know it's like we have a whole desk and you guys and there's a million people who are gonna if they say something interesting, it will be out there. Like you know, it won't be missed. Um, and so um, you know, there's not like the the old time media sports media person covering kind of had to like like you know listen for everything and maybe find that that stuff. You know, now it's just going to be up in 15 seconds after. So, you know, it's not for, you know, I might see something and say and tell my desk, like, hey, you might want to do something on this. So, yeah, so that is mostly making phone calls. And, like, you know, this recently has been real busy because at night there's a lot of high-profile stuff that I want to watch, but also uh, I need to watch. So, especially on the Yankees, even though, you know, I, I do more. I do a lot of national stuff, but when the Yankees are in there, there's a focus here. So, there could be a column, you know, that's potentially off of, something that's going on or an opinion or just to be on top of things with that. So I, I guess, I guess the thing I would say is that like, you're kind of always working because then people just text you all the time. Like, you know, you know, when I, I had the TBS deal with MLB during the, uh, when they were fighting, you know, that was like a Saturday afternoon. I was driving back from like, you know, a kid's soccer game and, you know, I got a text and I was like, it was pretty good timing because the game had ended and I was like driving back. So I was able to like, you know, tell my you know family, I got you know, I need some time. I got to work on this, you know, made some calls and then had the story. So that's, that's the life of a reporter. So you're always, your phone is kind of, you know, for better or for worse. It's always sort of like, well, who's, you know, I got to check my text and, 
you know, and who's texting me and, and that kind of stuff. But, but it's good. I mean, it's better than like, it's nice to have the cell phone, I would say, because like back in the day, people used to, when they covered George Steinbrenner, Yankee writers, you know, used to stay in their hotel. And I mean, I've talked to a lot of them from Joel Sherman to Jack Curry, you know, to, to, to many others. Yeah, they're scared to go to the bathroom to miss, because you miss George's call. He wasn't calling you back. It's not like he's leaving a message. Uh, so, right. yeah, so it's better that way um, in terms of, yes, you're always accessible, but you can also go take a walk and, you know, walk the dog and whatever. So how would you estimate your portfolio or your uh, black book of, of sources looks like right now? Is, would you say it's particularly vast or um, what, what would you put the number at? And then how often do you try to, how do you juggle the relationships between, you know, checking in when you, you don't need anything or they're checking in with you when they don't need something so you can build that relationship? How much of that interpersonal is going on that doesn't that doesn't maybe doesn't even show up in the in the finished product? Yeah, I, well, I will say this, and I like how you asked the question because, like, there there sometimes is a um, you know misnomer as if like there's like some scoop fairy that just hands out scoops to people. You know what I mean? Like, there's just like one person telling you some <laughs> everything, and you know, I think that's a common like kind of misperception probably in all sports now when you cover particular like baseball, for example, there are pretty good educate hypotheses about who's getting certain things from certain teams. But in this, uh, yeah, I mean, I try to talk to as many people as possible, like to put a number on it. I, I don't know if I can put a number on it or say how vast it is, but I just try to talk to as many people as possible. Cause like I said, I just do not want to have the argument. Uh, even if it's bad, like I'd rather just tell somebody, this is what I'm saying and let them, uh, tell me, you know, they might not be quoted in the piece, but let them say, look, you're wrong this way. And I think it's important because you're talking about people, you're talking about their lives. Now, you have to be honest. Like, you can't just say, like, everyone's great. I mean, that's not the way it works. And you have to be honest with it. But you do need to, um, I just never want somebody to call me up and be like, you, you didn't reach out or you didn't, you know, at least talk to the representative, talk to somebody, you know, and try to get a different side of things. Uh, so it's just so uh, it's the most informed opinion you can have. And it's not just like haphazard. How contentious can that conversation get? And then also, do you have, do you have people who, uh, when people think that they know who your sources are, how often do you think that they're even close or, or well, how do you view that relationship? Yeah. I mean, I often have this conversation with PR people, 90% of the time they're wrong. They get 10% right. They're, they are, I don't know. I, I just don't think people, uh, they just are just wrong. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Like, so they, 90% of the time they're wrong. Now, obviously there are some times where, you know, where it's, I guess, obvious or like to get confirmation on something, maybe like you go there, but that doesn't mean that's where it started from. So, you know, I don't want to get into to, to every detail, not that I'm like some, uh, um, spy or anything, but like, it just, you know, there's things you probably better to keep, under wraps to how stories get out because why help the PR people and those people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but that said, uh, so I would say that 90% uh, of the time they're wrong. And what was the other part of the question? Uh, I, I was asking how contentious those phone calls can get. Oh, the contentious. Because yeah. You don't um, want to have them on the back end, but I'm sure even on the front, they can, they can get. Yes. A little heated. Yes. No, they're contentious. Yeah. Yeah. They can be contentious. Um, like I would say this is where like my baseball reporting, like I learned, you know, from people like Joel Sherman and others, Wally Matthews, 
you have to stand your ground. Um, you can't like, you know, and we're different. I'm different than those two. Those two are a little more combative probably, but you, like you need to be in the right and you need to listen. Like, that's the thing. So when I was 25, um, like I, this was Ricky Henderson sort of threatened me. <laughs> um, I've read so, about this. And, I've read about this. Yeah. Yeah. So Ricky Henderson sort of threatened me. Now I get into the whole long story. I won't bore you with the whole long story, but number one, I didn't really do anything. I wrote a story cause he didn't hustle and like, um, you know, whatever. He didn't like the story, which is understandable. So he, um, uh, you know, the next day was basically like, you know, I had to go over to his locker and he kind of got mad at me and it really was like a non-threat threat, but the AP ended up, Ron Blum at the AP ended up writing about it and he wrote, it was like a shouting match, which I've always liked because it was like, it acted as if it was like, Ricky was like, I'm going to beat you up. No, I'm going to beat you up, Ricky. And it's like, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't, I just, it was a shouting listen, really. And I wasn't like scared or anything. I just wasn't like, I wasn't making it bigger. It was like Ricky yelling at me. wasn't really like, like I was like, let's go outside with Ricky Henderson. <laughs> you know, all that's the story. greatest players of all time. Yeah, that that's would be great. It's like, yeah, I was like, Rick is, yeah, my, my guy Wally Matthews once had that with Kenny Lofton and, and Wally's ready to go. He did say to Kenny Lofton, let's go, <laughs> let's fight. Um, and then Kenny kind of backed down. Um, and I can tell some stories when we go through from the Yankees for ESPN and Wally, uh, you know, wasn't, he wasn't back. So I was, I didn't back down, but, but the thing, I guess the point is you really have to listen to people um, because they have a right to vent if they're mad and they don't like what you said. But like I said, I try to have these conversations as much as I can on the front end. Now I do not, I'm not hundred percent on that, but I try to be as close to that as I can. What's the most nervous you've ever been before you uh, put something out? And maybe if nervous is not the correct word, the moment you felt most alive, pressing publish because you knew it was going to be uh, a big story, but you weren't quite 1 million percent about it. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever, well, all right. Well, I, how much do I want to reveal? Right, so here, uh, I'm going to give you an answer that a couple different ways. I would say the other day, um, yesterday, really, uh, with the Casey Stern story, I wrote about his kids and their child abuse. Now we, I worked a really long time about that and we vetted it uh, on, you know, really strongly but it's a really sensitive story involving children. And so I was, I'm not usually like nervous about a story, but I had some nerves just because of the subject. And, you know, I spent a lot of t time on the phone with Casey. It's important. And like, I would spent so much time with the story that you want it to be like perfect. And so I was a little nervous for that one. And then, so in terms of like, I like, I, I try never to press a button without being a hundred percent sure. Sure, and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to imply yeah, yeah. that. No, 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 I know. There's you're some more, stories know, you're more, you're no, more fired no, up. Here's about. the one, though. No, the, the one that okay, not, this is not sports me. I knew like so when I covered the Yankees and A Rod during 2012 during Biogenesis and they're fighting. I, again, I won't give you the whole thing, but A Rod and Cashman are having a thing, and I'm texting with Cashman. You know, I'm on the I'm covering the Yankees there for ESPN, and I said, you know, Cash, why don't I just call you? I call him up and then we go back and forth. He's like, just so pissed. Right. And obviously you have a, you know, you have a relationship and you're covering a team. And so I said, all right, cash, what can you say on the record? So then like, he just said something that didn't even like make sense really. So I said again, cash, what can you say on the record? And he goes, you know what? You can tell a rod to shut the fuck up. Oh, and, and, and then, uh, 
I'm going to call him now. And then he hung up on me. So like I've had that a couple of times where people have said such like, and a lot of times in your relationship, you might, which some editors might not like, but you might say, are you sure you want to say that? I had that once with Roy Ordonez. I mean, English is a second language. He called the fans stupid. I, and I explained to him after this is going to be in the back page. It's going to be a big deal. He said, write it. And then a, a Bobby Jones, who's a left-handed reliever for the Mets uh, back in the day called Bobby Valentine a joke. It's a joke. It's a pretty, pretty classic rant. And Bobby was the last guy on the team. Had a good relationship with him, but he said, "Yeah, write it." And whatever, it, it was a the whole thing. But but um, but with the A Rod one, I remember. So I was covering with Wally. I got off the phone. I called Wally. I'm like, "You're not gonna catch me." He just said that. And I like, look, I've had some stories. I think like my like I didn't. I felt different. Like I knew. I mean, this is like the biggest story in sports at the moment. <laughs> and the GM of the New York Yankees is telling Alex Rodriguez to shut the f up. So you know that's going to be like a bomb. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's like, like sometimes you have like a doubt, like, well, how is the story going to, you know, I think there's, you know, with Tony Romo, like hundreds, you know, when it was more than $17 million, like I knew that was going to be like a huge deal when I had that story. And you're working quick on a story like that because you know, like other people are probably on top of it. Um, but the A-Rod one, I just knew when I pressed that button that this, and, and uh Andy McCullough, who now at the Athletic, is a funny line. I mean, he said like he he was asked like, "What's the what's like the like loudest ovation or something or loudest noise you ever heard of uh, at like a crowd?" And he was covering the Yankees then for uh, the Star Ledger in New Jersey, and he said, "Yeah, that when uh, when that story came out in the Yankee press box, <laughs> you know that A Rod, you know Cash said that A Rod should shut the f up." Um, so yeah, sometimes you're a little bit nervous, but uh, but again, like I try again, I'm not perfect, um, but I try to be. But yeah, I would assume, you know, looking at the uh, again the very positive side of that, you know, the positive rush you get from uh, being first, and I think that spirit of competition when you're on a beat. Yeah, you want to be first. I mean, um, you want to be accurate, but yeah, it, it means something. I, I think so. I go back and forth in terms, not back and forth. I shouldn't say that. Um, the the idea of being first is important because it's it leads to being a authority on the subject. So like, I, I think you could argue about like, you know, when Adam Schefter and the like have like these transaction stories that are going to be announced, especially when they're announced like minutes later, I don't know if there's that much value in it, but there's value for Schefter in terms of like, well, he's kind of giving everyone that like, instead of like picking up the newspaper 30 years ago and seeing what happened, it's coming on his tweets. And then he has like what I would call real stories where there's, um, you know, Andrew Lux retiring. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's like where Schefter, you get an A, you know, and like the other ones are just sort of like, you know, you know, not. so for me, yeah, I mean, you, you yes, I, I'm very competitive. You want to get every story. And look, I'm fortunate that I covered baseball because I mean, I would say baseball is the hardest beat, um, the Yankees. Um, you know, probably, you know, the premium franchise and MLB, um, I would say, so that's just the hardest. And there's, you know, one point now it's a little bit less, but there are 11 people covering the Yankees full time. Um, and so it's this, and they don't need you really. So it just makes it so you have to like, you know, you have to be a little different. I mean, there's also not as many, the thing about media, there's just a lot of like stories. Like, I, I think like that was something that, uh, I don't know if the word sell is correct, but like I had to like sort of convince people. There's just like a lot of, there's a lot of ways you can go. There's a business story, you know, the NFL and, and the networks are going to spend billions. There's personality stories. You know, Tony Romo is going to get, 
millions of dollars. There's radio. There's just a lot of angles to it. Baseball is a little more, it's in front of you. So you have to be creative and it's hard, but it's like, I would recommend it for any reporter, I, you know, and I know everyone says sports is the, is the you know, candy shop of journal, whatever it is. But I'll tell you what, I'll take somebody who covered baseball and put them on political beat or other beats because uh, it's, you know, it's a grind, it never ends and uh, it's competitive. But you're, you know, you're seeing that more and more. Um, you know, sports, sports reporters going over and, and covering hard news. We just had Robert, Robert Klumko, right? Uh, yep. Yep. Washington Post. And I think that you've seen that um, cross pollination uh, in recent years in a way that, I mean, I, I'm not as, I'm not as old as some people who might be more expertise, have more expertise in it, but it does seem like every department is, 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 is helping each other. And I remember that from working in a newsroom as well just just kind of a side thought there do you how so when you're thinking of all you mentioned there's so many stories out there and i was thinking that it's a blessing and a curse to have a lot of news uh there's always something going on but in in you have so much bandwidth you're you're only a human being how do you view the job of curation on what you're going to report on versus what you're not going to? Because as you said, there are so many stories and so many angles to take it out there. How do you, how do you select the best use of your time? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you have to, you have to uh, um, prioritize, you know, you can't do everything. I mean, whatever the best stories are, you know, like the Casey Stern story, like I, I, uh, that's been going on for a while, that story, you know, a little while, um, I should say, you know, about a month or so. And so, you know, it took a lot of time. So the other stuff, uh, you know, I had some stories, I think, over the last month. But, yeah, I mean, I was taking a lot of my time up. So, yeah, I think you just to kind of have it sort of subjective. And, you know, yeah, there are times where maybe someone texts you and you're like, I don't really feel like doing this. You know what I mean? Right now it's, you know, it's Friday night and you know, then it's like Ian Rappaport, you know, uh, has a manscaped suspension. And so, uh, you know, you, you know, it, again, it wasn't that hard. I was drinking vodka when I wrote that one. So it was, uh, it made it, <laughs> I, I told him to check the copy. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, you just, yeah, there's a lot, you know, and, and sometimes you can't, like I actually have, I'm not, we, we, we have time. I, I told, but there's like something I'm working on now that's, uh, you know, so I have to kind of do that. And then yes, obviously I have other responsibilities in your personal life with family and stuff. So I try to make it work. Um, I try to make my kids events. That's like kind of the most important thing to me. And that was always difficult with the, that's one of the reasons, like not the main one, but the one of them in terms of, uh, you know, getting off of covering baseball. Yes. And thank you for uh, allowing the big lead uh, purchase to make the cut. Uh, that, that was, that was a real thrill. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. Man. No problem. <laughs> how do you deal with big egos? Because you have been, around them for many years now, um, shifting a little bit different, like you said, from, from baseball to media, but how do you, how do you deal with big egos and what, what benefits and also, um, challenges do they come with? Yeah. See, I, like, I guess I don't care if you're Bob Costas or Joe Buck or whoever, I'm going to treat you the same way as I treat anybody else. And if they act like you should be treated differently, then it's like, Okay. I mean, I don't care. You know, it's, it, that's how I feel. It's like, I, again, that's their problem. And like, I always say this, and this is, I get to act the way I act and the other person gets to act the way they act. So, you know, I, so like, you know, I had my thing with like Mike Francesa. And so 
I, you know, I could have started calling him names and like, and then like, he was like, you know, basically almost everything he said about me was like untrue. But like, if you read the columns, like when I wrote about, like I wrote once about when he kind of went after me and I went down there or whatever, but I didn't really address his lies because like then my truths would be equate to his lies. So, you know, and then that's how I felt, you know? Um, so when it comes to people with big egos, um, look, I don't think they're doing themselves any service. I, you know, like you don't go out of your way necessarily, but it's not like they get the benefit of the doubt if they're jerks. <laughs> you basically, I mean, because look, all of us, you, me, you know, we're all like super lucky to have a job like in sports and media. Uh, you know, most people have real jobs. And I would say, I always say this, I work hard, but it's not a real job. Um, so, and I do work hard, but so I'm not trying to want to mean that at all, but the, you know, it's a fun job. And so I'm fortunate to have it. It's not like, um, you know, I said signs you don't like to get the call, but like, I'm interested, like, you know, someone texts me, I like, Oh, that's, you know, okay. You know, that's like when, like I heard the Romo number, you know, and I got that number, I was like, Holy cow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I've been writing about that story for a while. So it wasn't totally shocking that it got to that number, you know, it ended up 180 million, 70 and a half per year. It, it's, uh, it's fun at the end of the day. Can I make the observation that you seem, you seem very even keeled. Like you said, I thought it was a really good point about when you said when the way other people, uh, they're going to act the way that you, they want to act, but you have to like, you can't really let that impact you. So you stay steady. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting observation. Yeah, I think also that comes from covering baseball um, as well. I mean, it helps a lot that you cover baseball. Just, you know, when I was at ESPN, you didn't have deadlines really, but but like, you know, when I was initially at the pose as a young person and, you know, you have 10 minutes to get the story in. It's not like, like, like Joel Sherman told me once, you know, you got Shakespeare after deadline or shit before it. It's better to have shit, you know? And so, so you get used to like pressure. And I also think like, you know, like if you're at ESPN, for example, when you did like the playoffs and like, especially like the Yankees were in it, you know, then, you know, more, again, they, they were, they were fine. They treated me really well. And they're not complaining at all, but you know, more people get involved, more editors get involved. But like when you've been doing it a long time, you realize like, okay, well, you know, I got a, a couple more emails, like no, don't change, just write the same story you wrote in June. And that's the job. And if, if you try to do something different because you know, this editor and that editor, you know, this person saying, you know, was kind of involved and, you know, um, you know, so you have to please your bosses. I'm not saying you like, I'm not saying you, you know, you just ignore them, but I'm saying in terms of your process, the more simple you make it, the better under all circumstances. Okay. So spokespeople, do you think that they all have, you know, have their individual personalities? Um, but how do those personalities get changed and, and um, defined by what outlet they're working at? And then do you see that over time? Yeah, well, I think each company has their own kind of rules of how they want things done. And so uh, so I think there are some people who are at certain companies where they probably don't agree with the philosophy. But here's the thing, and this is important for PR people to, to understand and the best ones do. If your boss is mad at you and you have a good relationship with a reporter, what you should do is call the reporter. Let's say, and let's say he says, so you go yell at the uh, Andrew, right? You don't call me up and yell at me. You know, you can, I mean, you know, you could, 
But the smarter thing is to be like, hey, man, look, we didn't like this, that, and the other thing is I'm yelling at you, all right? And all right, you got it? And it's like, yep, got it. So you maintain the relationship if you're the PR person, and you tell your boss, I yelled at him. And if the boss asked me, I'd say, oh, yeah, he yelled at me. You know what I mean? And, and so, there's, so that's like you, you kind of get into the beginning of like, you, to me, that's how you build relationships. So I think sometimes there's like when I see certain people, like sometimes they say things publicly, maybe tweet, they act as if like, like certain PR people like are bad people. And maybe there are some, but like for the, for the, overall, I think they're trying to do their job and they have a job to do. You have a job to do. So if I, you know, try to respect their job, um, that doesn't mean like, um, like, you know, like Josh Krulich from ESPN, for example, like I've known him a long time, uh, you know, since I first covered, um, um, at, uh, you know, the other day, you know, I had the fact that they were putting more stuff behind ESPN plus paywall. So I'm talking to them and like, you know, they, they had a rollout they already had planned. And so I had a line at the end about how they wouldn't say much, but, the, you know, it'll be outside the paywall or something. And so, you know, so you can have fun with that. Um, the other good one I had with Josh was like, uh, I had when Harold Reynolds got let go, um, years ago, I had that story and, uh, and Josh, you know, whatever that, again, that's like ESPN was saying, they won't say it. Like he wouldn't, they wouldn't confirm, they wouldn't say anything, but I had it. Like I knew I had it. And so I wrote something like when Krulowitz was asked, uh, <laughs> when Krulowitz was asked how he would explain the fact that Reynolds will never be on the uh, air again on ESPN, he declined comment or something. And so, you know, so you're going to have some fun with people. I mean, I told them, like, I tell them that it's coming. Like it's again, again, I just think you don't want really, you don't want surprises. And that's trust, though. You know, you obviously don't want to tell people. And there's certain places that I've dealt with where you don't trust them. And so, yes, I give them a heads up, but it's like five minutes before the story's about to publish. It's not like they're not getting two hours to work on what they want to tell me or whatever. You know, I got to trust that they're not going to screw you. And there's certain places that, uh, not many, but a couple that, you know, you don't trust them. So you just don't tell them until, uh, you know, then that, that's worse for them, in my opinion. It's worse for me in a lot of respect, too, because it'd be better to just have a, a full view. And, and, and the other thing I would say is when I tell them what I'm saying, I always say, this is not a negotiation. Like, I'll listen to you, but I'm not, like, negotiating. Can I put this in? If it's accurate, it's going in. But you can tell me, like, oh, wait, you know what? That's not fair. That, you know, okay, fine. Uh, and, you know, winding down here, how often are the people you're writing about either on air talent or executives in disagreement with what they think about a topic with their agent? You're like, saying so like a person, person like you're writing about, you're writing about, uh, analyst X, uh, and you're talking to analyst X's, um, agent or representative. Okay. Are they often telling you far different narratives? Uh, yeah, here, here's the thing. I would say the smart ones say the truth because like if you're an agent, Kyle, and you're telling me that this person just did a good job, like, and it's clear that they didn't like, you know what I mean? Like it's better the truth. So would they disagree with like the, if I talk to the analyst, um, you know, like, like for example, I would say like Booger McFarland did a good job, you know, like the fifth down thing during the playoffs where she got, you know, crushed for, you know, he just admitted he made a mistake and, and he didn't try to like, you know, and, and, and I guess the, the, the thing I would say also is that like, there's reasons for why things happen. Um, and having done it, I, I was always cognizant before I'd been on air, uh, you know, I, like sometimes somebody's talking your ear. Sometimes the, you know, the producer did something. There's things that happen. Now 
now listen, they're the people up front, especially the people that I generally write about, you know, in terms of their on air stuff, um, are all like to me, it's the major leagues. So you're not great on a curve at that level. You're on ESPN, you're on Fox, NBC, CBS, ABC. But, but, there, but there are reasons for why things happen. And it's like, it's important to sort of try to, to remember that. Now they're at the highest level. So again, it's not like, it's like, well, um, you don't just make excuses for everything, but, but it's important to, to remember that. Um, when you're writing about a announcer struggling or not being up to snuff or being particularly good, how are you, how do you approach backing that opinion up with objective facts versus relying on your subjective point of view? Well, I try to talk to a lot of people. Like I have opinions that I think are pretty accurate, but um, again, this comes from baseball. Like you just talk to people and people you trust and you say, what do you think of this? And um, I have a pretty good core of people or in the business that I trust that, you know, I really think are on point. I don't always agree with that person, but like, uh, or people I should say, who I can go to and be like, what do you think of this? And, you know, it's a group. And it's different and, you know, I'll reach out and say, hey, and so that, so that helps form my opinion. Now, generally speaking, I feel like I kind of am on the opinion before I talk to them. Uh, but I, I think it's helpful um, to do that. It just informs it. So, I mean, if it's an opinion, it can't really be objective fact, you know, unless they're like, I, know, I guess if they say like the wrong score or something, I guess that would be objective fact. Um, and if they're doing that consistently, I think, you know, I, I try to talk more about like trends. Like, you know, like I did, a, I've done reviews of Monday Night Football every year, you know, like change it. And so, uh, you know, I, I try not to like, obviously you have your preconceived notions of crews. And generally speaking, people, I think, try to look for those. You know what I mean? Like, let me support my original opinion. And I really try to have a clean slate. Uh, now, generally speaking, it does usually go to what you think because it's just like a bias that you have. So, but but I like to like, like if I have something, like I have a couple, like I have one thing on my radar now that I've been listening to a lot, um, which I might write about, you know, like a review at some point. You know, so I have like a real good feel. So I try to get a real good feel of the show and then I'll uh, talk to people. And then so you just can give, a, try to get a little deeper than just like, because I think I, I think the one thing that I think is so important is that when you write these opinions, you're just you're talking about people and their lives. So you just again, I'm not again, not that I, you could go back. I mean, I've written many harsh things, but like you, you still have to be cognizant of what you're doing. Now I have my job too that I have to do correctly, and it can't be just me like like McCarver said years ago. There can't be praise without criticism, and it's the same thing. So uh, it's not to be a softy. That's not what I'm saying. It's to to just understand that you're talking about someone and it could have an impact. Maybe just quickly, just so we, so we have this. I don't think it's close when it ter- in terms of um, who had the best year in the arena that, that you work in and I slightly work in. Does that mean anything to you? Like personally that like you're recognized as, you know, being near the top of that field, if not at the very top of it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it does. Of course. Um, it's nice. Uh, to be recognized for sure. I mean, when I told my kids that I was getting this award from the big lead, they were impressed for a nanosecond and then asked if we would get like a laptop or if there's some sort of gift basket. So uh, get Minute Media on that if you could. Um, but, uh, but in terms of uh, 
overall, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's very nice. And um, I don't get hung up on awards personally because I just think they're subjective. Like the, like the in like the sports media is like all into like the sports Emmys. And like I've gone a couple times, and I used to predict like who I thought was least deserving every time. Like like I predict because that's how it felt like. <laughs> how the winners were it felt very subjective i get it it's called the sports emmy so it means a lot to people and i understand that especially for a lot of people who are behind scenes and uh aren't recognized but yeah of course you want to be the best um now but i also don't think like, you want to be the best and that's what i try to be but i also don't think um you don't want to get so crazy to a point where like you want like i want every like big story but like if you don't get like every single story i think you I think it's okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think I've heard some stories about certain insiders and like so maniacal, like, and I, I try to be like that a little bit, but I also feel like, you know, the goal is like to be happy and like to try to balance everything. Um, and th these jobs, like, again, I said, you know, you work hard. So it's like always kind of, it's sort of 24 seven on and sort of 24 seven where you're kind of a little bit of freedom as well. It's a weird kind of concept, but you're kind of always on. It doesn't really feel like they're necessarily uh, weekends. Um, so, but to answer your original question, yeah, of course, it's great to, uh, to be recognized and very appreciated.